House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. You are back in the House of Mystery, and of course, I'm Al Warren. Now, sitting as co-host today, we've got Mr. John COVID Copenhaver. Oh, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> indeed. Uh, uh, happily, unhappily, I should say, uh, positive, but doing okay. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it sounds like it's the mild symptoms, so. It's, it's very mild. It's like I've had colds worse than this, so um, thank you, science. I'm yeah. feeling okay. And we'll are, are, you, have you, are you drinking bleach? No bleach. I've heard it's not advisable. <laughs> Hydrochloroquine or chloroquine or whatever. More of that. Just good old-fashioned water. Um. <laughs> I hear there's some uh, Jesus patches out there. Get your oh, vitamin no. D, and that's supposed to work pretty good. Oh, boy. Well, I'm just, I'm just I'm trying to help. I'm with <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's too bad. Have you, did you lose your sense of smell and, and taste and all that, or? No, honestly, I've retained both of those things. So um, mainly, it's just like a little bit of a head cold. Um, so and and kind of feeling a little bit um, like you know just tired, but uh, it's really pretty mild. Uh, the strangest thing, of course, is that I still have to do school remotely. Um, so the biggest pain right now is just teaching students from my computer, which is just not fun. Um, no, no, them or for me. I would say it's probably a big pain no matter what, but I, that's just my opinion, of course, listeners. <laughs> anyway, well, so we've got an interesting guest, someone you know, um, I guess probably from the Washington, D.C. We have a friend in common, um, Tara Laskowski, who was a guest on this show, uh, I guess it was last fall. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting, and she yeah she's doing well with her book. Um, well, so now we've got um, your friend and uh, or you, someone you know. Uh, the book is called "The Damage Done." It's a novel, and uh, the guest, of course, is the writer. It's Michael uh, Landweber. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here, and uh, Tara is awesome. So yeah, <laughs> we do have that. Uh, I, I will say that I have spent the last two minutes. Um, Googling the CDC guidelines about uh, doing a radio interview with someone with COVID. So, but I, <laughs> yeah, it's, so far they're saying it's they're saying it's safe. So you're good. Okay, I will I will bleach my headphones after this is done. <laughs> yeah, and put put your mask on quickly. <laughs> um, wow. So now your book here is kind of an interesting. Uh, I I was going to say mystery, sci-fi, thriller detective mystery i don't know i it, there's so much to it i don't know how to classify it i know we talked about it a little bit before the show um how do you classify this book how do you describe it i tend to think with all my books that i'm writing i guess speculative literary fiction um sometimes i say i'm writing uh sort of stories from the twilight zone that um might have been written by Ishiguro or someone like that. Um, it is a little hard to, to classify sometimes. Uh, I get put in sci-fi a lot. Um, my, la my last book actually was uh, the most genre-specific I've ever written. It was a, a sci-fi novel about um, 
teleportation being a, a common means of transportation and uh, a young couple loses their six-year-old son in transit. And that, that seemed to be the most easily classified thing I've ever written. Of course, then it got sold to Audible and was only audio. So then it became complicated in that way. People be like, where can I read your book? Well, you can listen to my book, but you can't read it. Yeah, you um, can teleport it. <laughs> uh, but generally, uh, it, you know, I, I always start with a, a what if question. And, and then I find that the question is hard to answer in the real world. So I end up going off the rails into speculative fiction. And in this case, uh, the question was, what would what would happen if people were literally incapable of committing any act of violence against another person? Yeah, that's when you get a question like that, I have to say that's it, it, it isn't it, it's impossible to, to to answer that in the real world um, in a sense that it's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. I'm real positive thinking, you know. I'm thinking, well, you know, you know, it's never, it's probably never going to happen. How's that? Um, so when we say that, um, y- you have to come up with characters that um, have to live with this on both sides of the, of the aisle, so to speak. You know, as in like ones that like to commit violence and ones that try to avoid violence, let's say. Um, so what kind of characters, how do you pick the type of characters you want to use to display this? Well, when I when I realized that this was the idea I was going to work, I often will have the idea and then I'll sit in a dark room and stare at the wall and just curse at myself because why did I do this to myself? Um, but this particular one, I realized I wanted to explore characters who had experienced violence in their lives, um, either as victims or, or in one case in this book uh, as a perpetrator, and see how the initial change would, would affect them. How I was very interested in that realization that each of these characters would have at the moment when they realized um, the violent situations they've been in were no longer going to happen that way um, and how that would change them as people. So um, I also realized that this was going to require a, a relatively diverse set of characters. So it actually has seven main point of views, seven characters who each have point of view chapters uh, that come together as the book moves on, but they each also stand alone in, in certain ways. Um, and I was looking for, again, like I said, I didn't want to have them all have the same experiences. So it ended up being a very, um, diverse group. You've got, um, it starts with a, a, a middle school kid who is, um, being bullied. Um, he doesn't even quite understand what it means, uh, to be gay, but he's being bullied anyways, because he is, he is exploring that. You've got, a um, a woman who is in a, an abusive uh, marriage. Um, there is a, a a black kid whose brother was shot and killed, um, actually dies right at the beginning of the book, just as the change is happening. And his brother ends up being dubbed the, 
the last victim of gun violence in the United States. Um, and then I went a little further abroad. I've got um, a pair of sisters who are traveling as refugees from El Salvador fleeing violence and uh, um, a dissident writer in North Korea who's in a notorious prison. So as I was thinking about, you know, characters who would be facing violence and trying to come up with different ways, um, different experiences, really, I wanted to sort of cover the breadth of, of, of people who, who had experienced violence and I wouldn't say enjoy the experience of them realizing that they no longer have to face that, but um, exploring that as it's happening to them. The other character is a, is a white supremacist who is uh, plotting a, a crime, a horrific violent crime um, on the morning that this all changes. But with each one of these characters, they are quite different. How do you um, research them or explore them without being them? Because I don't see you as being any of these characters. Um, and that being said, how, how do you make it so that the character becomes alive and becomes very real? Yeah, I mean, this is um, always the issue for writers because I think, well, I guess it's not always the case. A lot of writers write what they know. Um, but a lot of writers also spend a lot of time trying to inhabit the minds of characters who are not like them at all. Um, and in this case, I did think about the fact that, well, in, in the first case, you know, it would be hard for any individual writer to write this book from the specific point of views that they understood, given how widely varied all these characters are. Um, you know, I did, I did my usual, the usual research of a lot of this The research came from what's in the news right now. I mean, there's, there's an awful lot about um, violence going on in the world, um, you know, marches in Charlottesville and um, just refugees who are, who are making the journey and how, how they're being treated in the media here. But generally, I, I approach my characters as not, you know, representatives of a, a whole group of people or, or anything like that. I mean, I try and approach them as individual people. And when you get down to that level, you know, the emotions and the feelings that people have tend to be quite similar. And I try to inhabit the situation that they are, they are in. I mean, some of the, some of the characters like, I was the, the North Korean character. I was an East Asian studies major in college. I lived in Japan. Um, I've studied in Southeast, I've studied Southeast Asian studies as well. So while I never have studied specifically North Korea, almost everything I've done, it's hard to study North Korea. Um, they're such a closed society, but I've viewed North Korea through the lens of how the Japanese view them. I worked at the State Department and I worked on nonproliferation issues and saw it through that lens. So in turn, that would, that's probably the point of view that's furthest away from me. But at the same time, I probably did the most, the most research over the years on, on that character. Um, I really love that character. He's called the Empty Shell um, because he's a dissident writer who did not have a name in his own country. 
um, due to the repression in that country. You know, one thing that I immediately thought of when I thought, you know, heard about the concept for your book was just to what degree, you know, emotional trauma still exists, even if physical, I guess, trauma or violence is no longer um, going to be a factor. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts about that and the way it might play into your characters in the book. Well, and that's... um... I do like to say that even though this major, this monumental change has happened in the book, um, human nature didn't change. Mm-hmm. And most of the book focuses on the first few days after the change. And a lot of it is the characters who are victims of violence starting to understand that they are no longer um, under that threat but it's also focuses on the perpetrators of violence who they, they look for very creative ways to continue to, um, to, to subjugate the, their victims to violence, um, even if it's no longer able to be physical violence. So, you know, you have emotional, obviously not all violence is physical. You have emotional violence, you have, um, I mean, emotional violence is really what a lot of these characters turn to. They they uh, continue to try to, to manipulate and um, basically make the characters who are the victims continue to feel like they're victims. And I, I tried to be I I'm often a very pessimistic writer. I, I my my first drafts are often so bleak that my first readers and my agent will just kind of tell me to throw it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And on this one, you know, the first instinct is, well, you know, okay, so you can't be violent, but what if you tricked everyone into a locked room and just let them starve to death? Is that, is that the universe? Is that the world that we're going to end up in, even if you can't commit an act of violence? And I, I tried very hard to, Find the find the optimism in humanity and and hope that you know a change like this would would lead to <laughs> positive change in the world and not just everyone locking each other in in rooms and and throwing away the key. Um, so so yes. So the the, the original question um, the the human nature doesn't change and people. They try their they try their best to to work around the rules, but my rules were pretty airtight, so they can't most of them. <laughs> now you you mentioned I or in the little introduction, it says the Pope ponders whether the commandment "Thou shalt not kill" is still relevant. That that that's that's a dicey thing to get into religion and the Pope and that sort of thing. Does it sort of <sighs> Did you have to be careful on how you approach that? Yeah, I tried to stay away from religion in this book for the most part. Um, As I was writing it, in addition to knowing that I wanted to have a diverse set of characters whose lives you were intimately involved in on a very um, local level, so to speak, I also realized writing it that this would be a global phenomenon. Um, uh, and the impact would 
affect everyone. And so it would be something. Um, I, I had a conversation with people where I decided, you know, well, I don't, I, I'm not writing an international thriller here. So it's not like the president is a main, main character or the Pope is a main character. But at the same time, I found it kind of fascinating personally to think about, well, what, what is the president thinking right now? What is the Pope thinking? You know, what is a dictator in a small country thinking? Um, and so I, I, I wrote sort of interstitial scenes that are only a few pages long for each of those sort of major world figures in between the chapters for the characters who are much more normal everyday people. Um, and so that, that was kind of fun uh, for the Pope. It is him literally sitting in his chambers wondering why his, you know, his cardinals have written him this statement that doesn't seem to take into account that in fact a miracle has happened when often they have to bend over backwards to figure out what the miracle is. Like what 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 does it mean when it's undeniable? Um but I did it very quickly because like you said, I didn't really want its book to be about religion <laughs> and and have to dig into what every faith would have to say about this. So I don't know. Hopefully it's not too much of a, a throwaway and I won't get yeah. hate, hate mail. Well, you know, we can only hope, right? Or maybe yeah. I do want hate mail, you know? Yeah. Hate <laughs> mail is actually very helpful sometimes. Well, you know, the more you get kind of the better it is in a sense, you know, um, as long as they don't know where you live. <laughs> yeah. That's unfortunately in these days, uh, Hard to avoid. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just give out John's address. There you oh, go. Well, thank you, Al. <laughs> if you can, if you can text that to me, I'll use it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When in doubt, just put it all over your social media. That's where you live, and even his phone number. Why not? <laughs> you know. I mean, I get enough. You know, uh, robo calls at this point. Why not throw a few more? <laughs> yeah, just more people to ignore. You know. <laughs> Uh, what the, I have to say, but when 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 it's such a um, a topic, you've got all these, you've got this variety of characters. I I and and the subject itself would lead me to think that you actually had sort of a point to the book, like besides the entertainment and the different variables through the story, there must be some sort of a a subtext or some sort of a point that you're trying to make by the end of the book that you hope people take away. I'm guessing, but, um, is that the case? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, this book was actually, it first came about in reaction to me having written another novel that's currently in a drawer that my agent did not like at all, which was <laughs> extraordinarily violent. It, the premise just lent itself to a level of violence that my, my books generally are not ultra violent. And this was, um, yeah, people were losing limbs and it was, it was, uh, it was sort of a problem for all of my, my original readers. And so I, I kind of stepped back and thought, well, why did I write it that way? Like what were, what were my own personal expectations as a writer that I had a concept that I felt that was the only way I could get to the story. And that led me in my twisted little mind to think, well, okay, let's put a limitation on myself. What if, 
What if there couldn't be any violence? And how would that change my expectations of situations and things I write? Um, which I guess is the larger subtext of this book is hopefully people will read it and think about their own expectations in violence in the real world as well as in literature. You know, why when something happens, do we automatically assume, well, you know, you killed their dog, so obviously you got to go get revenge and kill them or, you know, something like that to use a silly example. But there are a lot of examples like that, and particularly in, in genre writing, which I'm not critical of at all. I, I you know, I'm a big fan of, of genre writing and, um, you know, the mysteries and thrillers and uh, sci-fi uh, fantasy, you know, violence is... You know, it's an important part of it. It, it plays an important role, um, both on a visceral level as we read and also as, you know, trying to get to the morality of the story. Uh, but for me, that was sort of the subsect as I was writing. What, what expectations do I have and what happens to the story of these characters when the reader and me as a writer realize, well, I can't go there. How does that change the story, and how does that change how we view violence generally? No, you know, it seems to me, uh, if I got this right, you've written it from several points of view as well. So you're kind of writing in several parts. Do you, do you find that a difficult way to write? I always tend to write, well, so I, I started out as a short story writer, um, which is part of how I know Tara Laskowski, who, who now writes really great um, sort of domestic thrillers. Uh, but she, she actually started out writing flash fiction, and uh, I, I started out writing short stories. So when I started this book, I actually wasn't completely sure it wasn't a short story collection. Um, I took each individual character and and sort of wrote their story of the first couple days from beginning to end um and it was only as i was writing that that i started to realize that they're all connected and then in later drafts they became you know more connected as i went along um but for me so this book was not particularly difficult uh and it wasn't well i should step back Every book I've ever written has been incredibly difficult to get through just because writing is a real pain in the we'll use neck. Um, it's, it's just, it's, I don't know why people do this. I don't know why I do this. But, you know, when you get to the end of it, you have a book and you're pretty happy. But the process to get there is incredibly painful. But for this one, it did, I did start out thinking, okay, I'm going to tell each of these characters' stories, see how they turn out. And then later I'll worry about, you know, bringing them all together, um, which I was pleasantly surprised they, they brought themselves all together, which, you know, was a nice bonus for me. Did you have trouble um, balancing? Like, I know one of the things um, from a structural standpoint, dealing with different points of view, and I've just really dealt with two at a time. Um, you know, moving back and forth and keeping the reader oriented. Was that a, a challenge for you with this, or did it kind of naturally unwind that way? Um, my goal was that you would be so 
engrossed in each character story as you went along. That that that's I mean that's always the goal, right? You want you want people to be so invested in your characters that they they turn the page. Um, so you know, I was really focused on each individual point of view, um, and as I was going along, I I started to realize I was dropping. I don't want to call them Easter eggs because we'll think we're in a Marvel movie or something, but um, you know, they're they're the the connections are there in the beginning. I think if you read the first two couple chapters, you may not see them obviously until you've met characters later in the book. Um, but it is um, it, it's it's yeah, it's a little more of a literary approach to it, a literary fiction approach. I don't want to say literary as if genre books are not literary, but a literary fiction approach. Um, similar to a book like There, There, or uh, A Visit from the Goon Squad, um, Jennifer Egan's book, um, where, you know, you have, you have characters and you meet each one in a chapter and eventually they, they reveal themselves as being connected to each other. Um, so yeah, it, it, is, it is difficult, but I, I tend to believe with multiple point of views, if you, if you are focused on having the story right in front of the reader it be engaging that they'll they'll stick with you not sure everyone agrees with that so your process how how do you how do you sit down and write like what's your process are you um a person that's very um affected by what's going on in your day and around you and the people close to you or can you write no matter what when i'm really into a project i generally can write every day um regardless of what's happening. Um, I'm not a writer who, you know, I've got 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. blocked out. I tend to grab time where I can. And I also, unfortunately, I'm trying to change this a little. I generally sit down at the computer and end up staring out the window or at the wall for an hour before I can actually get revved up. It's almost like I'm, like I'm a car in the winter and I, I need to get warmed up before I can even put words on the page. Um, but generally, when I'm when I'm in a project, I I write every day um, for at least a few hours. Um, but I'm also a writer. You know, I I don't write 365 days a year. I will I will take a couple months off um, to try and recharge and figure out what I'm writing next in between projects. Um, the book I'm writing now, kind of a weird circumstance. I find that I write 60 or 70 pages and then suddenly it's a month later and I haven't written anything. It's not writer's block. It's just life, I guess, but it's a, it's a different way to write for me. Um, I also, I, I generally have a vague idea of where I'm going, but I don't, I don't have a detailed outline. So usually as I'm writing, I've got five or six pages at the end of my manuscript that just have totally incoherent notes, but they make sense to me about where I think I'm going and what's happening. And then on any given day, I'm usually surprised what's happening in a specific scene, even if I know generally where the book is headed. Do you feel like um, your characters are, are real to you in a sense of a lot of fiction writers will describe their characters in different different ways but they're all 
very real like do you do you hear your characters do you see them like what, what how do you describe that that situation i i do i do feel that they're real um i do they they kind of talk to me i mean they, that's a weird thing to say because they're not actually talking to me but they they reveal themselves as i go along they let me know um sort of where where their story is headed. I, like I said, I don't always know, and sometimes I'll get to a point and I'll have to think about, well, okay, kind of guide me on where, where you're going next. Um, that said, you know, I don't, I don't really base characters on anyone. Um, I, find, I find that they're pretty much whole creations out of my mind. I mean, the emotional... The emotions they have, the feelings they have in certain situations are obviously, you know, based on how I might feel in those situations. But I try to stay away from real world people. Um, I actually have had <laughs> when I was in let's go back to high school. When I was in high school, there was a our, my high school had a fine arts week. Um, and part of what um, part of what they they did. Um, was they would have creative writing readings. And I had a, I was actually too shy to read my own story out loud. Um, but I had someone else read my story and everyone knew it was my story. And it was about um, a mother, an abusive mother who was uh, an, an alcoholic. And uh, about two days later, uh, my mother got a call from one of her friends saying, you know, do we need to talk about something? Um, and ever since then, I've had to reassure everyone every time I write. That's so funny. I have very similar high school experience. Um, mine was a character who committed uh, suicide, and suddenly I got all these questions from, and it was one of those things that was published in, like, the, I don't know, they put stories together, and they gave it out to the parents or something, and suddenly I had, had all these friends, parents, um, asking me questions. I was like, look, it's just a story. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, was, I think more more creative writers in in high school and college get put on you know watch lists and probably other categories of people. So true. So I have a question, um, and we kind of started off the episode this way, but it's something I continue to think about. Is that you know, and you've made you know mention of it several times, a sort of you know weird space between what we call genre and what we call literary. And then we have this other word, speculative, that seems to sort of gather up a lot of, um, you know, different types of fiction under its umbrella. Um, and I'm just, you know, more than anything, I'd love to know what you think about, like, where those things intersect or maybe even why we have these different categories. I mean, to be blunt, I think we have the categories so that, you know, Amazon can gather categorize it on their website and so you know to to get more analog so you can put them on a bookshelf and if you're browsing you kind of know what you're looking for and what you're seeing um but in reality i think too many i mean so many of my favorite writers you know are literary fiction writers are writing genre all the time i mean if you look at a person like uh, kazuo ishiguro i mean his last book was Clara and the Sun. I mean, I, I'm, I haven't read it yet. I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's about, about a robot, you know, and his other book, Never Let Me Go, is about cloning. So, you know, you get a lot of those. I, I remember, I've 
so I'm I'm old enough that I've sort of seen Stephen King's whole career and his he's kind of the poster child for someone who you know was always boxed in genre and now suddenly is you know has broken out of it and even though he's writing very similar things you know people have sort of realized it isn't doesn't really make sense to just have a bright line between literary and genre writing and I've never really understood what it is and maybe that's because all of my writing kind of straddles it back and forth I mean I don't think it's helpful. I think, you know, what's helpful is knowing what a reader likes, what they want to read and being able to recommend authors who give them what they're looking for, honestly. And I don't think that that's necessarily um, by putting them in a certain box. I mean, another one is like Kate Atkinson is one of my favorite writers and she's often, you know, She's writing genre. Is she writing literary fiction? I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, it seems oft, often uh, an error in thinking because I feel like people are often searching for something new and fresh, yet because of these categories, the algorithm continues to bring us back to the same old, same old. And so um, I agree with you. I think it's unfortunate we do have these boxes. I think I understand why, but... Um, well, and the one thing that really people just always need to push back against is that sometimes people will describe genres as being the quality of the writing, and that's that's just ridiculous. I mean, there there are terrible literary fiction writers, and there are absolute there are mystery writers and sci-fi writers who can write a sentence that makes me cry. So you know. That that's the that's the thing that I think is most problematic when people try and put writers into boxes is that they're trying if they're trying to say something about the quality of of the writing I think that's always a mistake. Yeah, those mystery writers. Those <laughs> mystery writers. Look out for that. I wish I could write a good mystery. I <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I, I'm always impressed. I also, every time I start a new, a new project, I'm like, this one's going to be funny. I'm, this is finally going to be my comedy. I'm like, this idea is perfect for comedy. I can be funny. And then like 30 pages in, I'm like, oh, okay. It's another comedy tragedy. Yeah. I just killed someone. I didn't, I didn't even know that was going to happen. Then I give up on comedy, but you know, I can dream. You could always make it a comedy crime. Yep. Yeah. There are, I mean, there are people who do that extremely well. They're I mean, just comedic not, horror is like the new thing, or it's not all that new, but it's certainly uh, po popular more now than ever. Absolutely, yeah. So well, that's, maybe that's that'll a, be my next project. I'll go for comedic horror yeah. and then <coughs> end up writing a font family drama. I don't know. <laughs> a lifetime movie. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting. Like when you hear your characters' voices, do you, do you ever wake up in in the middle of the night and find like a shovel by the bed or <laughs> you know muddy boots and stuff? Yeah, but it's always a really small trowel, so I'm I'm get a little confused what what's going on there. Um, I I don't I don't usually dream about the writing. Like I know some writers will say like they wake up and they've. You know the entire story is in their head. That, that doesn't. My dreams tend to be weird, but not the kind of weird I write. 
Um, I actually, I actually have do sleepwalk sometimes. So, you know, maybe I shouldn't joke up, joke about the trial. Um, I say, see, now we're getting to it. And do the voices talk to you when you drive? <laughs> quiet, what? quiet. I'm on the radio. <laughs> yeah, stop it. Um, well, do, but when you get an idea, like when you said you had the question, you know, about violence and if it can no longer be, and you have that question, do you do you actually picture what the 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 book's going to look like or how how it's going to play? Is there like a, a uh, you know, a painting in your mind and you've got to get there and that's how you set out to write this book or does it just sort of, you just play it by day? I generally play it by day. Um, I have, I mean, on occasion I'll, I'll kind of know the ending. Like, for instance, you know, um, the teleportation book, I kind of knew where I was going with the ending. I mean, you lose a child you kind of want to have in your own mind whether you're going to find them or not at the end. Um, but generally, generally it's that, that, that question just starts haunting me. And then I have that horrible moment in the pit of my stomach where I'm like, okay, well, yeah, it's a great question, but it also needs characters and a plot. And, you know, you're about 300 pages from answering all those questions. Um, yeah, those are the days when I wonder why I'm a writer. Um, when I'm yeah. on page 250, I'm usually like, oh, this is great. <laughs> do, and so when you do finish it, like, do you, do you, in this modern day with social media and, and so many people will have access to you as the writer nowadays, do, do you get involved with reviews and how people see you and what they say or – or do you sort of stay away from that kind of noisy stuff? Um, I do. I do look at the reviews. Um, I do look at Goodreads, although every time I do, I'm like, this is not, this is not really what I should be doing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't engage. I mean, the, the early days of the internet and commenting, there were enough, uh, cautionary tales of writers who uh, went back at their bad reviews. You know, it's not, that's not something anyone should do. Everyone has their opinion. I'm thrilled when people read the book and not everyone's going to like everything. Um, but I, I do, I am aware of, of, you know, what people are writing. Um, if they're, you know, people who took the time to review it on, on their website or on Instagram, I, th this book around, I, realize just how many people are now reviewing on TikTok. Um, you know, I, I will, I'll give them a shout out or, or try and at least thank them for that. But I generally, I believe that once I finish the book, it kind of belongs to other people and however they feel about it or however they read it. I, I'm, 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 I'm interested to hear it. You know, I don't want them to be too snarky and mean at me, but you know, I guess that's why people go and read their mean tweets on Jimmy Kimmel, right? Yeah. Well, I would think you'd hunt them down. <laughs> well, I only have a very small trowel, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other Michael hunts them down with the voices and then slowly tortures them. Uh, I'm trying not to write that book. That's why I did the, the book where you can't have them. 
<laughs> well, what makes a good book to you then? Like, obviously, like when you wrote that other book that's in the drawer about all the murders you committed of your readers, and and the everybody said no, no, this is too much, and you came to this book because there's no violence. But so, what in your mind is a good book? Like, what what is it? Is it the literary value? Is it the way words are written? Is it the structure, or is it the story itself? Is it the emotion? Like, what what do you look for? You know, if it's got a really interesting character that I can I can get behind and follow their story along with them, their journey, I, that's always a plus for me. Um, I do tend to gravitate towards um, books that straddle genres or are difficult to categorize. Um, when I pick up a book and I can't quite tell, where I would put it on the bookshelf, I, I usually buy it because <laughs> um, that's kind of intriguing to me, those those big what-if questions that, um, that then are answered on the very specific character level. I guess that would be, that's what I like to write, and that's what I, that's what generally intrigues me when I read. Yeah, and I can agree with that because then it's not set. You're getting a story, and it doesn't have to, follow one idea it can just kind of go where it needs to go absolutely yeah 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 i think that's good um do you do you have to like your characters no no i don't i mean yeah. generally i do um i generally like my characters uh which i guess for some readers is kind of a flaw because you know you shouldn't, you shouldn't like all your characters. But as I said earlier in this book, one of the point of views is, you know, is uh, a white supremacist who's going to, he's been plotting um, a, 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 a gun massacre. And, you know, obviously I do not like him. Uh, he would not like me. Um, but it was that, that, and I found that harder to get inside his head and, and write that those chapters. And people have told me that, those chapters are among the, the hardest for them to read. Um, I will say just in the era of trigger warnings, while this is a book of um, where violence is no longer possible, uh, it, it, it does deal with um, the aftermath of violence uh, in quite in all the stories. So it is not, it is not completely violence free, even though the actual um present time stories are are free of violence well that, that does that concern you or do you do you negotiate how you write some of the stories in because of the modern times and because of the triggers and because of maybe uh, let's say pc correctness or whatever you want to call it are you concerned about going too far with some of the stories I, I try not to be, I don't, I don't think I was when I wrote this book. Um, you know, I, I mean, we are seeing around the country right now, just ridiculous amounts of attempts at censorship. And I tend to believe that people should read, read books and writers shouldn't censor themselves. And, um, readers can can make their own decisions and we only learn by being able to read everything that's out there 
That said, I feel comfortable personally with what I write because I come at my characters from a position of respecting them. So I, I don't feel, I, I hope that what I write is not exploitative or, you know, um, sort of taking these characters and treating them as stereotypes. I, I, as I said before, they're real to me. I treat them as real people. And hopefully that means whatever situations they end up in, um, while it may be hard to read sometimes, it's not offensive to read, if that makes sense. At least I hope that's the case. Or do you find yourself putting yourself in the shoes of some of the characters? Like, do you, you know, dress up like the Pope? Or do you, uh, <laughs> do, do, you do you try to live live the way they are for a day? This sounds like it's going to take a whole other hour of radio to get through that, <laughs> through my, my emotional issues dressing up as the Pope. Well, you know, um, it's just, um, just you can just scratch the surface there. And say, well, <laughs> you, know. Um, you know, I don't think there's any writer who, well, I should never speak in generalities like that. When I write, yes, I, am, I feel like I'm experiencing what the character is feeling along with them, particularly the closer the, the point of view is. Um, I almost always, even if I'm writing in third person, write it from the point of view of usually one character in a chapter. So, yeah, I I, I feel what they're going through. Um, you know, obviously, I don't feel it literally, but I do, do feel like it works. It comes off better if I if I feel like I experienced what they're experiencing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's going to read more real you know stuff mm -hmm. um so how how do you like to interact with people that or do you or like what or do you have a website or do you have social media that you want people to follow you on like um where where do they go to find michael um well the first part of that was a loaded question because you know what writer really likes people but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yes i have i have a website um i'm on instagram uh on Facebook, on Twitter, um, all of which I have, you know, complicated relationships with from, <laughs> from the standpoint of what they are as, uh, as platforms generally. Um, but generally, uh, one of the nice things about having a last name Landweber, I'm actually related to every Landweber I've ever found in the world. Uh, there are very few of us, so if you type my name in, you, you almost all, you, you get me, unless you get some, you know, fake profile created by a Russian bot. So, <laughs> And what's your website, or do you not have a website? Uh, my website, it's michaelandweber.com, although I think if you type in michaelandweber.com, it'll also come up. I, I tend to point people towards Mike Landweber because the two L's next to each other tends to cause typos for people. Confusion. Yeah. <laughs> I try to avoid confusion. Yeah. Well, of course, we'll have that up on the website and everything, so people can find you with one click, and they can hunt you down and give you the reviews that they want to. Um, they can tack them to my door. That's it. Well, that's what it's all about here, you know, <laughs> it's connections, networking, kumbaya. Um, <laughs> I, I, how, was, how was the COVID for you in your writing process? You know, um, I tend to write alone in a room, so you know, I, even alone in a room, I wore a mask 
for those first few months. Uh, Even when you were by yourself? I, I <laughs> you know, I can't really trust myself. I mean, well, that's what I was going to say. You know, the voices start talking. You don't know where you've been. Um, but, uh, you know, it didn't, it didn't change it that much for me. I, I tend to write. It's a solitary thing I do anyway. So, you know, it changed my life generally, just like everyone. You know, I had less contact with people who I didn't want to talk to anyways. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, but didn't, well, I, I'm the same. You know, everybody knows I hate people. It's just awful. Um, but see, but I like they, you. Yeah. Well, see, I, I absolutely hate people. And, and I do these things for that. You know, I want, but pe- people are attracted to me because they hate, because I hate them. It's like when you're not a cat person, and that cat just comes right up and sits in your lap, right? <laughs> That's right. They're, they're trying to win me over, and it's not going to happen. I just think about what character I'm going to turn them into um, and how I'm going to torture them. But at this point, but it, doesn't the stress around you, like when you know everything's going on outside your house, is like really, really weird. You know, you got anti-maskers, and you got all the weird truckers, and all this stuff going on that's stressful. Um, well, I'm like John. I mean, John, you're not you're not actually in DC, are you? I, I'm in DC. So yeah, I, I moved to uh, Richmond. So I got out of there after a while, but I saw some of it. Um, yeah. But, so you know, in DC, it's you're kind of always aware of the craziness because that's local news as well as national news. Right. Um, but. You know, it's I I, I kind of when people ask me this question about like did this influence you this particular time, you know things are always kind of crazy. I mean, grew up in the Cold War. I you know people telling me if I got under the desk I wouldn't die in a nuclear weapon. Although by the time I was in elementary school, they'd realize the desk wasn't going to do much for us. So, <laughs> but you know, so there's you know, and then my first my my. My oldest kid was, you know, two, three months old on 9-11, you know, and that was insane here in D.C. I I convinced myself, I had to convince myself I didn't have anthrax um, because they kept sending it to places I worked or knew people. I don't know. It's always crazy. And eh, this is why it's good to stay alone in your room, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, you, you, but you have to wonder, you know, because um, if if you're sort of set and used to this, it's a it's a daily thing, and you no longer it no longer really affects you either way. You have to wonder what level of it is really in your writing then. Yeah, like you take, I, you I know, don't know. You take it for granted, like it's just you're not thinking about it. It's there. It's somewhere in your system, and then when you're writing, you have to wonder how much. Maybe this is why you got a book in the drawer. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. How much are you charging for this session? Well, <laughs> you know, this is what it's all about. You know, we I mean, I it. wouldn't say it doesn't affect me. I mean, the news of the day, and particularly the last couple of years, I wake up, I look at it, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And it affects me, and then I kind of have to talk myself out of this is the last day that the human race survives, you know? But, um. Yeah, yeah, it it yeah. it it obviously everything that happens goes into to to my writing as it does with other writers. It just I mean, can't. sometimes I mean I don't know if you feel this way, 
right? We sometimes you just have to put it all all the possible possibilities aside just to get through the day. Like eventually, you just kind of like I'd rather write or you know eat a cheeseburger or something, <laughs> worry about all that stuff. Like you know, I think in DC particularly, you just get that that sort of energy that's always kind of there, just you know, to lesser and greater degrees. But yeah, you're right. You're like oh. They're storming the Capitol. Let's find a cooking show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you did, but you just have to wonder what your threshold of acceptability becomes with violence and how, how high is the level of not paying attention. That's all. Well, and that brings it back to the book because I hope that's what people think about when they read the book that you shouldn't automatically assume we have to have, violence in certain situations. That's that's what I hope people take away from this. No, no. The violence is only called for when McDonald's is out of their chicken McNuggets. Well, there, that's true. <laughs> well, now, uh, now, everyone, the book you've got to buy here uh, is The Damage Done. And it's, um, it's, it, it's I was going to say, an interesting story of our time. <laughs> and uh, the author was our guest and um you know uh, let him know what you think you know uh <laughs> michael uh landweaver thank you for being here all right well thank you so much for having me thanks mike tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service go to our website and look for the martino movie reviews You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.